We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to BuzzBeat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show. All right, welcome in. Episode 78 of BuzzBeat Radio. Uh, We're 11 games deep now. Feels like we're kind of in a routine. The Panthers are halfway through their schedule here. Big game tonight for Carolina. We're recording this on a Thursday night. They're in Pittsburgh. So as soon as we get done uh, recording this, we're all jumping on and watching what feels like a really big game for the Panthers tonight in Pittsburgh. Um, all right, don't forget, we are a proud member of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network. Uh, and don't forget about our friends, too, over at SportsChannel8.com, where we found old Brian Geisinger from. Uh, and then QueenCityHoops.com. Uh, it is the home, the official home of BuzzBeat Radio. Our good friend Noah Purser doing a great job over there. Make sure you're checking out all your written content needs over at QueenCityHoops.com. Richie, what is up? Um, so how old is the little guy now? I guess he's, what, technically almost three weeks uh, wow. so yeah, it's, it's crazy. We went to the pediatrician on Tuesday and everything seems to be healthy and going fine. So, um, I guess we're doing our job as parents. And, uh, like I said before, like it really does change your life. Everything, all the priorities kind of switch over to him. It's funny cause I'm at school thinking about him and <laughs> you know, my job, you know, was always like top priority, like, you know, get there early, leave there late. Uh, but now I'm leaving right at, right at 4 PM to get home to see him. So, uh, when you have a kid, obviously, when you you guys will experience this, but uh, your whole life changes. I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah, kid is a little farther down the line for me. I'm just trying to get a second date here first, <laughs> and then we'll take it take it one step at a time. But uh, that's good to hear that you and, and Paige and everyone's doing well down there. We are. Thank you. That is awesome. BG uh, College Hoops has officially started. We got our first bite of the apple uh, with R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson. I'm sure you were clued in the other night. I couldn't. Yeah. That is the crazy, that Duke-Kentucky game. Uh, I didn't stay up for the whole thing, almost the whole thing, but that was the most nuclear performance I've seen from a college basketball team, and I, I really can't even remember I've seen another one. I mean, that might be the best. They, they looked incredible, and, and obviously they won't play that well every game, but they're, they have the ability to be scary good in a way that, 
not a lot of teams in recent history have looked just in terms of, you know, they've got three top five picks on the roster right now. And uh, I even thought some of the older veteran role guys like O'Connell and White and, and Bolden played pretty well around the freshman. But, I mean, everyone did their thing. Even, look, Trey Jones didn't shoot the ball great, but he had six or seven assists and, and no turnovers. And then the big three of, you know, Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, who used a million possessions but scored a ton of points. Williamson doing everything all over the court. And, and Reddish is just like a, a really smooth player with good range. Um, you know, he can run an offense, but it's sort of, you know, they just, the, the embarrassment of riches they have right now is that he can basically function as like a second side closeout beater for them right now. Um, mm-hmm. any other team in the, any other team in the country, you know, that guy would be, you know, basically being T-Mac for them. Um, so it, Duke looks incredible and, uh, the ACC is off to a good start, which is fun to see. But that night in general was just fun because we had, Hornets Hawks initially, and then that went right into the the Duke Duke Kentucky. So that was a fun fun doubleheader that night. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping um, Cameron Reddish. I'm kind of hoping he is just a little overshadowed by Barrett and Williamson, and sneaks back into that back end of the lottery right. early <laughs> mid first round area, and is in yeah. Charlotte's wheelhouse because we got a guy Jeremy Lamb who I kind of think they have similar games somewhat. Yeah, uh, maybe maybe one day when Reddish uh, matures, but. As Lamb walks out the door, I don't know. I'm just saying, Cam Reddish would be kind of nice to to bring in the door uh, yeah. if the Hornets don't re-sign Lamb, which is which is kind of hard to picture. So, yeah. uh, but but they are they're amazing. I've never seen a college athlete like Zion Williamson. I mean, yeah, look, LeBron was incredible, but LeBron was not six seven, two hundred eighty five pounds, and and not only that, but he's one of the twitchiest athletes it's I have crazy. ever seen. It is for crazy. a guy that big, for a guy that big, you know, almost three hundred pounds to have the hops he does with like the ability to change directions and like he can handle pretty well. His vision is incredible. I mean, if you watch them play up in Canada this summer, you saw it like yeah. the guy can whip cross court passes and just his explosion inside of 10 feet basically makes him like, you can't stop him one-on-one. You have to send extra defenders and like, he's clearly unselfish and can see guys and is willing to make passes. And I mean, guys are just going to get room service dunks, playing next to him this season it feels like feels like anytime he has the ball inside of 10 feet duke should score like 80 to 90 percent of the time like it should just be yeah. a layup or a dunk every single time and uh it the one of the funniest parts of that game though was at one point kentucky spencer i saw you tweet about this too which was kentucky went zone like the first play duke just sort of was like oh all right this and just swung it to barrett and barrett hit a three from the top yeah. of the key and it was like you know, Kentucky, I think you're going to have to get a little more creative. Like, I know they're overwhelming, <laughs> but just throw the 2-3 zone out there and basically being like, oh, let's see if this works. And Duke just instantly goes into wide open three mode. Um, that's probably not going to not the uh, the greatest of coaching adjustments that we've ever seen from a Hall of Fame coach of John Calvary's stature. But uh, yeah, Duke is Duke's overwhelming. But man, Virginia's great. UNC is awesome. The ACC is loaded this year. They got you know, should be 10, nine or 10 tournament teams. And I think the league has only two gimmies this year in Pitt and Georgia Tech. I think everyone else is, is either like a tough out or like a final four title contending team. And like those top three teams are. Right. So a few things. BG had a good piece on accsports.com the other day, which I read basically like your power rankings before we all get knees deep in this stuff. So I would suggest going and reading that if you're, you know, if you're crashing at the last second 
uh, to try to learn about all these teams. That's a great primer for you. So go read that. Number two is uh, my dad. My dad's a big. Duke, this is a quick story. My dad's a big Duke basketball fan. He didn't go to Duke. He, he lives in North Carolina. My family lives in Statesville. Um, he had been a Duke basketball fan for a long time. So I can remember this had been like you know four or five years ago when the one and done things start. One and done things started at Duke. My dad was just. He was furious. He was not happy about it. This is not the Duke <laughs> basketball he knew. This is not the Coach K he knew. This is really, really bothering him. Mm-hmm. And so I talked to him today on the phone. We're talking about the game. We're talking about the players. And he is psyched. He, he can't <laughs> can't have enough of Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett. So he asked me this because he's not plugging. He doesn't follow the recruiting classes real closely and all that. And he said, so what can you tell me about the recruiting class next year for Duke? And I, <laughs> I, was, like, I was like, wait a minute, Dad. I was like, wait. Aren't you the same guy five years ago that was like, I'm so tired of this one and done yeah. BS, you know, get, yeah. I was like, you love it now. And he's like, well, you know, you adjust. So, yeah. so that, that's kind of the evolution of the Duke basketball fan, if you will, in the past five years. I would say too, like, enjoy this freshman class. Cause next year is not going to be, even if Duke ends up inking a few more five star, it's not going to be as good as this, as this class is. Um, right. The other thing I would, uh, I'd say about, uh, no, the other thing with Duke too, uh, they they have the home opener this Sunday against Army. I'll be there in person, so I'm I am stoked to see Zion uh, up close for the first time. That should be fun. Awesome. All right. Well, we've already gotten extremely yeah. off track. Here, but yeah. we'll, you're, you're so excited that I'm no longer like in in the de- you know in this podcast anymore. You guys can talk about college basketball all you want. So yeah. this, this we, is, all right. you are listening to Buzz Beat episode seventy eight. <laughs> yeah, by the way, Buzz Beat Radio. Yeah. Yeah. How many minutes deep? How many minutes? This is eight minutes, eight minutes in. All right. Perfect. So we're off to a good start. Uh, Richie. So we've got some Twitter questions. We thought we'd just kind of you know switch up speeds here on this show and start with that because again we do appreciate you guys interacting with us, mm-hmm, asking mm-hmm. us questions when we throw it out there. So Richie's going to uh, present those questions, and we'll jump right in with that. Yeah, i got two questions. One seems to be uh, more on the serious side, one not so serious. So I'm just going to go with the not so serious first uh, from our friends over at Sports Channel 8. The question says, Miles Bridges, greatest dunker of all time or nah? Thoughts on that? I mean, I, I, I'll start here. I don't really have an answer, a yes or no answer, but BG, we can't rule it out. Yeah, right. right. It's the possibility right now, that's for sure. <laughs> we can't rule it out. I mean, how how much how much would you like to see a Zion Williamson Miles Bridges dunk contest right now? Like, let's have that in Charlotte, the All Star game this year. I do think before we get, we get on to a more yeah. serious question, if you think about all the states where there is an NBA team and there's college basketball too, I mean, there's a fair amount of overlap there. Name me another state that has a better pair of dunkers. Like if you took one from the pros and one from college, the Miles Bridges and Zion Williamson in the state of North Carolina. Like that's a pretty darn good combination yeah. there. Yeah, I don't, no I don't, don't think you can top that. Uh, so yeah. now on to the serious question. At K-I-E-F-W-15, Keith, he asks, how long until Miles or MKG is in the starting lineup? I believe that Marvin's best days are behind him. At this point of his career, he should be a seventh or eighth man. I say this understanding he played well last night. So he sent this in the night after the Hawks game, which I believe was on Tuesday. Uh, you guys are listening to this probably on a Friday. Uh, I'll just kind of give my quick thoughts before passing it to you guys. I think that, first off, you know, Marvin... Clearly, like like he says, his best days are behind him, and his three-point shooting has been uh, pretty down this year. But I also think that he's not strictly in there uh, as a player that's just going to stretch the floor. Uh, some of his assets are 
you know, outside of the offensive game. You know, he's a very good leader, very good defender. Um, I know that he's getting older, uh, but I think that, you know, Borrego sees him as somebody that is a glue guy, uh, you know, in the starting lineup. And, you know, just because he starts doesn't necessarily mean he's going to finish as well. So I think that MKG or Miles might be best suited just to stay on the bench, um, and maybe they'll pick up some of his minutes as the season progresses. And, you know, you know, MKG is really kind of coming into his own off that bench. So who knows what would happen if you inserted MKG back into the starting role. Sure, it could be seamless, but maybe he might take a step back in his production. So uh, what are your thoughts on that? Marvin moving to the bench uh, and then maybe Miles or MKG coming to the starting lineup. Yeah, well, I agree with you, Richie. I mean, I, I think that Marvin serves much more of a role outside of being a spot-up shooter. I think his game caters more to this point, obviously offensively, to being a spot-up guy outside of the fact <laughs> that he's not shooting it well. Um, but he really does defend hard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can put him on the other team's best players, you know, on certain nights. I mean, you know, he does have the misfortune of having to be matched up with guys like Giannis uh, yeah. or... I, anyways, I, I'm, I'm blanking on another good example right now, but he has to guard really, really good players certain nights, at least for a stretch. I think that serves a definite purpose. And then on the other end of the floor, you know, he's not shooting the ball well. I think that will correct itself yep. a little bit, especially from the corners. Um, I think where we see the digression from Marvin the most is really in his closeout ability. Even two seasons ago, you know, Marvin really had some juice closing out, finishing mm-hmm. at the rim. Um, he just doesn't have, and it's not that the creativity's not there. He just doesn't have the legs for it anymore. When he takes one or two dribbles and he gets closer to the basket, you know, if he can't go up with that right hand with a little space, there's just really little else he can do at this point. Um, he's not, I would have hoped to, I would have liked to see him develop his passing game from that position when he gets to the rim off a closeout a little bit more than he's shown. That's a little mm-hmm. disappointing, but but look, like he's talking about his deficiencies in the way I am, is he's not going to serve a greater role coming in with the second unit than he would playing around guys like Kimball Walker, you yeah. know, and Jeremy Lamb, and guys that do make the game, and Nick Batum, guys that do make the game a little bit easier for him. If he's struggling in these areas I'm talking about, you know, playing with younger players outside of Tony Parker, he's not going to look any better. He's not going to serve the team better. So I think he's better in that in that starting role and. We've seen how effective Miles and MKG are able to be off the bench. So why I would why I would tinker with that, I'm not sure. Yeah, the Miles and MKG off the bench in a little over 90 minutes this season, scoring over 111 points per 100 possessions with those guys on the court, and a net rating close to plus 20, a little over 19. I don't think we're going to see a change anytime that soon. Uh, like you guys sort of talked about, I think it was you, Rich, you said this that maybe you'll see. Marvin dialed those minutes back a little, a little bit, and those guys will soak up some of those for the most part. But I'll say this too. Yes, Marvin is not hitting three-pointers. He's been really bad from above the break this season. Uh, on catch and shoot threes, just 11 of 41. That's under 27%. The shot to me looks fine. Uh-huh. Like It looks uh-huh. like he's still getting decent lift. Like I've seen him take 12 million threes over the last four years of my life. It, there's nothing, at least to my naked eye, and I've been watching all these games that I haven't, I haven't seen. Like, oh man, it looks like he's getting a little, like he's noticeably not as high off the ground, or the, you know, is there, is his elbow bothering him, so it's not locked in. I, 
I'm not seeing any of that, Grant. I haven't like gone through it frame by frame to see <laughs> if his form is different at all. But like he was so good last season that I think even if he were to regress, it wouldn't be like this. And I think at some point, you know, he's going to end up end the season in the the mid to upper 30s in terms of catch and shoot percentage. So maybe there's a hot streak coming for him. And in one of these recent games, I think it was the Cleveland game, actually, they even tried to like get him. They, they ran some post-ups at the start of the game, maybe to mm-hmm. sort of like get him going a little bit. Um, the one thing I'll say too about Marvin is a, the starting line is playing very well together too, which is sort of like another thing to remember that like, if this thing is playing big minutes for you and it's working, like why tinker that much with it? Starting five has played 144 minutes together this season. That's the second most of any, of any five man lineup in the NBA, 106 points for under possessions. It's really not not that good, but the defense has been very good, and I think Marvin probably gets some uh-huh. credit for that. Only 98 points per 100 possessions, 75% defensive rebound rate, net rating a plus eight. Like all that stuff's good. Uh, so I don't. And you can go through if you go through the individual box scores. Most of the time, you know, I think only one or two games has the starting lineup played double digit minutes and not had like a, a positive overall impact. Like they're 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 routinely putting up good performances um and teams still have to guard marvin out there too you know like even if he's not hitting that shot it's a part of the offense it's in the flow of the offense and like when they when they run those double screens or the either the the dho stuff out of the corner like he's the guy that's popping that's a part of the offense and like it's it you, you can't do that really with mkg cannot do that with mkg and and bridges it's still sort of like a work in progress um so i don't think this season i think i think like next Next year would be would be the time to but i mean hell we're seeing in some in some clutch minutes you know look miles bridges getting big is getting leverage minutes with some of the starters and stuff like that too so you're seeing it in bits and pieces just not at the start of the game and not the majority of the right and if you look, at, I just looked it up. His minutes per game is the lowest ever in his in his career, twenty three point three. So I think that's where it's going to come. Not at the he's start, even, but towards the end. He's not even playing half the game now. You yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, and that and look, that was the idea with Marvin. I mean, insert Miles, insert another guy that can play four. Like th- these minutes were supposed to go way down. Yeah. Um, doesn't help that he's struggling. But Brian, great point. Even when he's struggling, as he is right now, shooting the basketball. He still serves the Frank Kaminsky theory, right? Yeah, you just stand totally. out there and make the totally. defense look at you at the very least or take a step mm-hmm. towards you or whatever. Um, <laughs> so that's good. Uh, but yeah, there's nothing discernibly you know, evident of that his shot is different or struggling or I mean BG great point. He's still getting good lift. It, it all looks the same. It, it, you know it's just probably a little bit mental. He, he probably just needs to see a few more go in and there's really no universe out here, which I can't imagine that he's going to get better, especially in those wide open attempts. Cause he's gotten yeah. a lot of them and he hasn't made a lot of them, but that will improve. Uh, it will improve. All right. Uh, wait, do we have one more question here, Richie? I think we do. I think we may have, uh, Uh-oh. lost Richie to, to babysitting duos uh, here. They, we'll, we'll, we'll circle back. To, yeah. 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 We'll circle yeah, back. We'll get back. We'll circle back. We'll circle back here. Yeah. Do you want to go ahead and get into, get into games? Yes. Let's do okay, that. Cool. Um, All right. Let's quickly touch on OKC, which is about a week ago now, so we don't want to spend a ton of time on this. Uh, Charlotte led by 19 in the third quarter of that game, and they end up losing 111 to 107. Um, I tweeted some of this you know, early last week. Russell Westbrook had one of the most ridiculous fourth quarters just from an advanced statistics perspective I've seen. 
uh, in a while. Uh, actually, I'm going to pull that up right now. Westbrook in the fourth quarter. Get ready for this. <laughs> 155.6 offensive rating, 60% assist rate. His usage, where is his use? It was his usage 30.4, uh, net rating of 50. I mean, it's just incredible to look at what he did. It was just one of those quarters, and Westbrook has these, right? Like, he's a little bit Jekyll and Hyde, where he just reminds you, this is why I'm one of the top eight players in the league when yeah, I'm at my right. best. Because he was terrible in the first half. But um, he rescues the— Due to short-term memory, man. He just, he just forgets yeah. about it instantly, you know? He just keeps playing. You know, he just keeps playing. So 12 of 24 finishes uh, for the game, 29 points. Um, 10 assists, 8 rebounds, only turned it over 3 times. I mean, the guy took over the game in the second half. Charlotte turned it over a lot in this game, 17 times, way above their average. They, they kind of played right into Westbrook's hands. I mean, if you let that guy get in the open floor, you're, you're toast. So uh, that really, really hurt the Hornets in this game. Kimba had an awful first half. Ironically enough, when the Hornets were, were kind of humming, or not humming, but the Hornets were fine. They had a lead going into the break. Uh, came out of the third quarter, extended it. But Kemba really struggled until the first, the second half when he got going. But, you know, this is one of those things where, and we talk about it a lot, when Kemba gets going, it doesn't always serve the team in the most positive way organically because, mm-hmm. you know, everyone else kind of stands and everything goes through him. And although he was good in the second half, uh, scoring, I think, 18 points, uh, really everything started coming to him from the field. You know, the Hornets didn't have energy, didn't get into their sets, turned the ball over too much, and played into OKC's hands, and uh, and the Thunder come back and win this one, which really was kind of – it was a very disappointing game. The first uh, – or excuse me, the second, I guess, of a four-game homestand, um, and one the Hornets should have had. And if they win this game, they they go 4-0 at home. It just would have been huge. So Yeah. Uh, look, once again, clutch, look, it never boils down to just this, but once again, clutch minutes, not good for the Hornets. Five clutch minutes in this game. Charlotte scores just one point per possession, 33% effective shooting. Uh, most of their good stuff came at the free throw line and Oklahoma city scores over 1.5 points per possession in clutch minutes. Like that was the difference in the game. Um, Westbrook was incredible. And just like, like sometimes you just flip a coin with him. Like he's going to use a ton of possessions. Teams are going to load up to stop him. He's going to hit Adams on a couple lobs. He's going to hit a couple kickout threes. But for the most part, like he's going to take a lot of pull-up shots and get to the rim. And he just had it going. Um, yeah, here we go. Uh, Westbrook in this game, eight of 11 at the rim, three of three in the fourth quarter. Four of eight from the mid-range, three of four in the fourth quarter. Six of ten shooting in this game after seven or more dribbles. And that uh, he was three of four shooting in the fourth quarter after uh, seven or more dribbles. Just crazy. Like, it's just an insane game. Um, I thought this was another one of those performances with Charlotte that it, made, it looked a lot like the Philadelphia game in part because they shot poorly. Um, they didn't get a ton of threes up and they, they missed a lot of them. Um, but just all the length that Oklahoma City can put out on the court yeah. even even their point guards like Westbrook like look at that guy and Schroeder like his wingspan is insane and just it, it's tough for Kemba and then everyone else like you've got all these aliens on the wing for them like Diallo and, and Grant and Paul George who had a horrible shooting night oh of 10 on threes four of 20 from the floor but four steals three blocks um and this was another one of those games too look like Plus minus on a game to game basis is uh, is probably shouldn't read too much into it. 
MKG a minus 25 this game. Now he just happened to be on the court yeah. when Westbrook got it, got it cooking. Um, but I also thought like Charlotte basically couldn't score in this game when, and it looked like a game. It looked like an offensive rating from on, from an offensive rating standpoint. It looked like a game in the past with MKG where I think they were like right around, you know, eight, you know, 80 points for 100 possessions with him on the court. Like it was something, it was pretty ugly. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was just too much, too much Westbrook. And when he gets it humming like that, I mean, he's a one man show. Yeah. And it certainly didn't hurt that Alex Breen is out of nowhere, like straight out of Billy Donovan's doghouse, uh, immediately into hitting five three pointers on your head too. That's no fun. Yeah. Um, the only thing I would really add on, on top of what you said, I mean, Charlotte is continuing, albeit under a different head coach, continuing to keep teams out of transition. And this is just one of those outliers. And look, again, OKC is going to do this to you. Westbrook is going to do this. Uh, 22, almost 23% of their offense uh, is attempted out of transition. That's a high number, especially for mm-hmm. Charlotte. Um, almost 50%, 47% to be exact, of OKC's field goal attempts come become at the rim. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's an enormous number. Uh, and, and that derives, again, out of transition. But these are... Look, these are numbers, regardless of the head coaches. <laughs> the head coach is Mike D'Antoni. He's going to bring it up, right? Like, yeah, right. You, know, you, just, you can't have this stuff, especially with an athlete like uh, Russell Westbrook. And Charlotte just played right into OKC's hands. A game they should have had, a game they did not come up with. Mm-hmm. Um, and another clutch game, you know, another close game in the end that, that the Hornets fall short on. We can touch more on that later, I guess, if we want. But uh, anything else on this one, BG? No, I think we are good to go. What's good, y'all? This is your boy, Justin, a.k.a. Just Blaze, host of Above the Rim. And if you want a raw take on the NBA, Above the Rim is a show for you. With dope beats and entertaining guests each week, we offer a great new insight on all things NBA. You don't want to miss it. Find it on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and the Almighty Baller Network. Next, in what was really the the poo-poo uh, duo of teams that came into Charlotte uh, in the next two games here, Cleveland, who is a terrible, terrible basketball team. Um, I, I'll be honest. I, I've almost gotten my eyes on every team this year, BG, and mm-hmm. there is zero question they're the worst team I've watched. Yeah, it's bad. It's really, really, really – they are just a – it's amazing to like look out and see all these guys they acquired to like play with LeBron and you're it's like why are these guys still here? Right. Why the hell is Kyle Corver still in Cleveland? Why is Jared Smith here? This, this like why like why not have Channing Fry and Richard Jefferson back too? Like it, it makes just as much sense. Yeah. Um yeah, they I mean they are a it is a just gang of mismanaged parts and pieces that don't fit together. And they seem to be rudderless at the moment, which is if you listen to any of the reports or read anything the last couple of weeks, I mean, it's just I, I don't think it's quite open rebellion or anything like that. But but uh, like I like is this team trying to make the playoffs? Are they tanking? Are they playing the young guys? They and by young guys, I mean, just a guy like Colin Sexton, like they don't have any other like young, like buildable pieces unless you think. Larry Nance at $10 million a year is that now, too. Um, but just, man, Rodney Hood's there. It's just such a weird group, and this team is, yeah, they're god-awful. 
Um, yeah, and so I don't really want to spend a ton of time on this game because I, I just think this is one of the like three or four teams in the league. You're just not going to get a lot out of watching the Hornets play or watching them play anybody, right? Like you're just they're terrible. And I agree with you. Um, these veterans, like why, why are they out there? You know, trade them, get something. If it's this, you know, the 58th pick in the draft, the second late second rounder, who cares? Get something for these guys that are yeah. just, you know, want to bury their heads in sand having to be there right now. Um, Boy, J.R. Smith looked like he would have rather been, I, I mean, seriously, anywhere else. Like, I think J.R. Smith would rather help co-host this podcast with us than he would, <laughs> like, like if it paid the same. Like, if everything was the same in terms of finances. Um, yeah, he. it was just like his body language going into every timeout. It was just, it, was it, bad. It, it looked like, it. I was like seeing myself in him. It's like, this is what I look like when I'm mopey and pouty. Do you know what I mean? Like, I look... Right. I look this pathetic. <laughs> yes, yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, they were they're they're pathetic. The Hornets slept walk in the first half of this game. Let's be honest. Um, outscored by Cleveland in the second quarter. Hold on, I'm pulling up the box score here so I can remember some of this game. I mean, really, it was it was a pretty balanced effort from uh, from Charlotte. Jeremy Lamb had a nice game here. I mean, I think this is one of the games you can kind of circle early in the season for him and say, hey, we saw a little bit more Jay Lamb um, than we've seen a lot of this season. I want to talk a little bit more about him later. Uh, 19 points, 8 of 15 from the floor. Um, surprisingly enough, didn't make any threes, 0 of 2 from the field. Eight rebounds, two assists. Uh, I mean, really, really did. Uh, had a nice game here, I thought, um, and played a lot with the second unit, actually. Um, Kemba had 18. Willie Hernan Gomez at 11. Nice game for him. MKG did his thing. Nice game for Malik. So, and then Miles came in late. A lot of these were, crunch, you know, kind of garbage time uh, stats. But but Miles ends with 12, five of seven from the floor. Hits two threes. I'm pretty sure both of them came in the fourth quarter. Could be wrong on that one. But yeah, I don't know, BG. I mean, any discernible thoughts here from this? Yeah. One? First off, like this should go. This is all you need to know to how bad of a team Cleveland is. Uh, the Hornets go just 10 of 30 from downtown. They take only 13 free throws in that game. Those are not, that's not enough free throws, and that's a bad shooting clip from deep, right? And they still score 1.3 points per possession in this game, which is a monster number. Yeah. That number balloons up to 1.5 points per possession in the 21 minutes that Jordan Clarkson was on the court. By the way, like, that dude's off-ball defense. They they threw the backdoor alley-oop to Malik, where they sort of, uh, like, fake like he's going to come off the pin down, then he goes back. Yeah. He could have done anything. Like, yeah. like and they, they got they hit on that again against Atlanta, where whomever the wing defender was for the Hawks was denying the, like, the trying to get in front of him on the ball screen and Malik slipped backdoor. Like, like, he could have been playing tiddlywinks before the play, and, like, Clarkson would have yeah. been totally just fuddled by, by whatever was going on there. But... Big game for the Hornets at the rim. Uh, they go 21 of 30 in the restricted area, 70%. And uh, two-thirds of those of those 14 of those 21 field goals were assisted on. Um, this was also an awesome game for MKG. Like, just a bounce-back performance, sort of, in my, in my opinion. Uh, five of seven, which is attacking the rim like crazy. Screaming out and one after every play. Game high, plus 28. He had two blocks in this game and just his like they like Corver got a couple good looks when he came in and then they threw MKG on him and it was just putting water on a hot fire. Like he just yeah. 
just his ability to deny that dude like that it must be no fun to be one of those guys like to be a guy that runs off screens to be a corver to be a redick and then you got to have that guy gets thrown at you it's just like all of a sudden man every all everything in your bag of tricks you got to throw at him because um your teammates got to set good screens because he's going to be in your hip pocket the whole time but i thought his lock and trail defense was good uh, it was just a super impressive performance from from mkg um he was also uh, he was five of seven shooting. He was five of six shooting inside of eight feet. Um, and I mean, yeah, about seventy five percent of this guy's field goal attempts this season have come inside of ten feet. So nice performance for Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Bad performance as always for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, this is going to be a long, painful, and arduous rebuild process, as one would expect um, when yeah, LeBron no. James leaves town. Yeah, no question. I mean, their defense is just. There's just no effort. Um, you know, Tristan Thompson sags low on every single pick and roll, which <laughs> some of these mid-range numbers are just incredible. These are like <laughs> mid-range numbers that Oladipo hung on the Hornets last year when Dwight Howard was succumbed into right. pick and roll coverage where he just pulls up and that, you know, mid, mid anywhere in that short, yeah, right. uh, long mid-range area and just nails it. The Hornets in this game, let's see, from the, from the short mid-range area, 70%, 98th percentile. From the long mid-range area, 55.6%, 83rd percentile. At the rim, 19 of 27. I mean, not not a you know astronomical number, but still a big one. Like the yeah. defensive effort when the ball gets in the painted area is comical. I mean, that yeah. that that is where the defensive effort should be at its heightened. Uh, at its height is when the ball gets there. So the Cavs are a mess. Um, Hornets didn't hit a lot of open shots from downtown in this game, but they didn't have to because anything inside the paint. Uh, was pretty much free money. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't have anything else in this game. Jay Lamb, yeah. I mean, a lot of those stats I just threw out to you, especially those short and mid- uh, long mid-range stats, those are carried by Jeremy Lamb, who lives in that area. If it's not a catch-and-shoot three, as, as we know, right. and is really good. Um, so, anyways, Hornets get a, a very easy win uh, in this one. I, I have the cleaning the glass stats pulled up, so they throw out for garbage time. And there was a lot of garbage time in this one. So I think the final was 125.96, though, uh, if I'm correct off the top of my head. Well, uh, one last thing I want to throw in about this game, too, that we've saw, we've seen in a few games, including the most recent game in Atlanta. And Richie, you and I were tweeting about this together uh, a couple days ago, too. But two of those high-low looks with Miles Bridges in this game, um, where he got the first one was he got George Hill switched on to him early in the game. He, he he spins, he seals, goes into the post, and got a, got a layup off that. And then he got a, did the same thing in the second half, and got a bucket off of Colin Sexton. We're seeing that. I mean, teams are going to switch. The Hornets are going to go to that basically every time with Bridges in the game. And uh, I've seen that in Charlotte a fair amount, specifically with with Miles Bridges this season, where. He screens for Kemba or Tony Parker. He gets the opposing point guard switched onto him. The ball gets swung like high, you know, sort of like elbow width, but above the three-point line to Zeller or uh, Ernie Gomez. Bridges spins, seals, and there's an easy pass over the top. And they've gotten probably a half dozen buckets off of it this year. And I think that's something that we're seeing more and more this season now, too, league-wide, where if people are going to get switch-happy, then this is sort of like a like it's like an old school counter to a new type of defense, sure. um, and and it's worked very well for the Hornets this season. Um. Okay. On to Atlanta. 
uh, which was on God, what's tonight Thursday? I guess it was on Tuesday night. Tuesday, yeah. Um, Hornets get this one, one thirteen, one oh two. But don't let that score deceive you. It, it was a struggle for Charlotte, and I, I think there are some defensive. You know, although Atlanta was uh, finishes with the uh, offensive rating of ninety seven point one in this game, that's awful. Um, but that I think is not a number that really represents how bad the Hornets were defensively in, mm-hmm. in certain parts of this game, certainly in the first half. I mean, 46% of Atlanta's field goal attempts, and a lot of this is the first half from Trey Young just getting to the rim, uh, uh, <laughs> presumably really whenever he wanted, and, and yeah. very, very little resistance from Charlotte. It was a extremely lackluster effort, I thought. Um, probably the worst half of defense I think this team has played this season I, I would say mm-hmm. I've probably already said that once this season but <laughs> I thought it was I thought that's why Richie's laughing he's like yeah you said that last podcast um <laughs> but but I think that I mean this was really bothersome because Atlanta they do play hard and they have some guys that can put it in the bucket and Trey Young is really freaking good and can run yeah. an offense on any it's NBA team mm-hmm. um but these are this is this team and roster is full of young guys, a lot of rookies, and to get sliced up like Charlotte did in that first half, I thought it was a little bit embarrassing. Um, just too much at the basket for Atlanta. I mean, good grief, and and just no help from anywhere. Everybody just kind of looking at each other. That mm-hmm. was really what I wrote down in my in my notes. Um, you know, just from a stylistic effort standpoint from the Hornets. But look, Kimba was really good in this one. Uh, he finishes with 20, uh, 29 points, 12 of 22 from the floor, 4 of 10 from deep, 33.7% uh, uh, usage. That's high, even for Kimba. Um, you know, so the Hornets get this one, but I don't know, BG. I wasn't – I didn't walk away totally satisfied. They had a great third quarter, and they pulled away from the Hawks, but they struggled in parts of this one. Yeah, I honestly thought, look, you know, I, I agree with you completely. It's, it's crazy for the Hornets to win by 11, which – they, by the way, they didn't cover the spread in this game, which was 11 and a half. And there were some interesting Vegas drama uh, <laughs> down the stretch there, if uh, if that's your thing. But I actually thought, like, the Hawks were, like, more impressive. Um, hats off to Lloyd Pierce and what in the system that he's installed in Atlanta. And they are buying in like crazy. And, I mean, it was just an avalanche, especially in the first half, just an avalanche of attempts at the rim for the Hawks. Um, I mean, over 41% of their field goal attempts this season have come at the rim. The shot chart from the first half, it, it ain't pretty if you're Charlotte on defense. And, man, Atlanta, the pace they're playing with is just out of control, too. I looked this up today. This is So this is the average possession length of an offense after it gets a defensive rebound. The Atlanta Hawks are number one in the NBA. 9.2 seconds per offensive possession after a defensive rebound that is absolutely crazy that's crazy they're just flying up and down wow. the court um charlotte's no charlotte is very efficient in those possessions but yeah like charlotte's averaging after a defensive rebound 10.8 seconds per offensive possession now the hornets are scoring 1.14 points per possession after a defensive rebound which is sixth in the nba which is good but now the hawks i mean I don't want to mispronounce his name, so I'm going to embarrass myself here, but Kevin uh, Huter, Herder, Herder? Yeah, yeah Kevin yeah, Herder. Herder. Yeah. Man, he's impressive too. Like, I like his off-ball gravity, the way he curls off those wide pin-downs. Um, he's got some explosion. Yeah, he and Trey Young, like, it looks like the Hawks had a, had a good draft, seriously. 
Um, yeah, real quick on Herter, he's obviously like don't take this out of context, please. He's obviously not Clay Thompson, but it's pretty obvious that he's watched a lot of Clay Thompson film, like yeah. his body language, his athleticism, what BG just said, how he comes off pin downs, and he knows if the guy's on his hip. If he is, he's curling, he's making a play, he can pass it. If he's not, or if he's trying to cheat under, he's he's fading the screen, he's gonna fire it. Kid has a really really good feel for the game. The uh, one of my favorite accounts to uh, that I follow, and he follows me, and we interact on Twitter is uh, Skyfall on Twitter. Yeah, which I think you guys might know. Great follow, yeah. like excellent follow. If you care about, if you're a nerd about the NBA, uh, I don't have the handle in front of me, but I think it's at Polar Side. But uh-huh. Skyfall, man, this guy, the great account to follow. Um, he 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 responded to me with one of my tweets about Herder. I think he described him as. Like, look, I think this guy can be a corver. And he listed a few reasons for why the way this guy uses his body, his his explosion coming off screens. So I think Clay Thompson actually, like, it sort of makes sense. And I think, like, maybe somewhere between those two guys, maybe you have uh, – that's, that's where Kevin, you know, heard her profiles as, which, like, that's a great compliment going down the road with Trey Young, um, who, I mean, the guy can't hit a pull-up three to save his life right now. I think I saw he was – He's like seven of forty-one or seven of forty on pull-up threes this year, just not good. Uh, but he's gonna he's will gonna start correct getting, itself, yeah. Yeah, it will, it will. Maybe not this year, but over the long run, um, you know, he's gonna be a, he, that that's gonna be a weapon of his. And I don't know, like the, I just think the Hawks are doing it right uh, in terms of this rebuild, and and I'm uh, I'm I'm pretty impressed with with what I've seen so far. This is a good shooting game for Marvin. Going back to the Hornets, good game for Marvin Williams. Eight rebounds, three three pointers. Um, so that was nice. Jeremy Lamb, two three pointers. Nick Batum, two three pointers. Uh, in another one of those games too, where Tony Parker came in, um, three six shooting plus twelve. Like the, the team is just scoring at will when when Tony Parker plays. I mean, like I, I know the season maybe didn't get off to a great start outside of that my the Milwaukee game when when Parker was pretty important to them then, but like. Look, this they don't have issues that they had in the past with Ramon Sessions and Michael Carter Williams. And I was just laughing about that the other night, like because they were playing. It was after the Hawks game, so they're playing Jeremy Lin. Jeremy Lin has a has a nice game. It's good to see him back healthy on the court. And you just try to think of some of the guys that they just tried to plug the backup point guard gap with for for two seasons, and it's just it's unbelievable. Like yeah. Ramon Sessions, Brian Roberts. Briante Weber and Michael Carter, Michael Carter Williams. It's just <laughs> MKG, right? Like, MKG. You're right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I, caught, I caught myself on that one. I may have messed that up the first time. Just I got to say it. the whole name. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, but you're just like, and I was laughing because you remember how? Do you remember? Do y'all remember how much trouble MCW had shooting last season from literally everywhere, including at the, at the rim? rim. Yeah, it was yeah. like a sub four yeah. percent shooter in the restricted areas. Like, oh my god! And you like. You just see how the offense is playing with Tony Parker, and he's getting good shots for Malik Monk, and he's getting all the way to the rim. And you're like, man, what a difference it makes when Kemba can sit and this team doesn't completely fall apart, you know? It's nice. I mean, you retweeted a stat earlier in the week. He was, I think, among guards, maybe third in the league, field goal percentage at the rim. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's been very, very, very consistent. And he's been aggressive. I mean, I really think that is the difference with Tony Parker, especially recently in the past two weeks where this has kind of leveled itself out and become a consistent every night thing, 
is he's just aggressive driving the basketball um, and and probably having to do that more aggressively more often than he did in San Antonio. I mean, he understands who he's playing with with that second unit. Yes, there's some talent there. They're very, very young, and he knows he's got to take over. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that just that that simple mentality, that thing you can't measure, it really is making a difference for him out there on the floor. Uh, BG, you brought it up. Marvin Williams, Sprite player of the game in this one. First of the season to my count. <laughs> uh, <Nice>. with, with, <laughs> with 20 points, three of six from deep. So that was nice to see. Um, and maybe that really gets him going, right? Like going back to what we were talking about earlier, I think he just needs to see it go in. He did more often uh, against the Hawks, so maybe that really helps him. Uh, anything else in this game? Oh, well, of course we have something else in this game. Miles Bridges, uh, dunk that if that's not the best highlight of this season, then I can't wait to see the next one. (laughs) Uh, I mean, he had two dunks in this game. The first one was really nice too, which he came in, I think in the first quarter, uh, cause Kemba was still out there. Charlotte ran pick and roll, just garden variety. Like you see 27,000 times per game. And it looked part of it was Atlanta was loading up defensively. I mean, all five guys defensively are like either on top of Kemble or like eyes looking right at him. You know what I mean? This is something we can talk about in a second too, because um, Kemba has been taken out of some games to an extent recently and his shot shot profile looks different, but Deandre Benbury was, was up a step or two, like a goalie in soccer was sort of like caught off his line and this is something Miles Bridges, you know, whether this is natural or he's been playing with MKG for a few months now, but he just made a beeline right for the rim. Kemba hit him for a slam. And then obviously, uh, you know, a few possessions later was the, was the dunk, which was just simply, uh, simply incredible and um, really, really a special finish. I just continue to be impressed with this guy. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I tweeted this out yesterday. I believe he is 23 of 25 shooting in the restricted area with like probably 85 or so percent of those makes assisted on like he's, he's, yeah, he's, he's finishing at the rim and uh, he's doing it on, you know, cuts and transition finishes and stuff like that too. But look, that number is not sustainable, but it is pretty amazing to see him that efficient at the rim this early in the season. Uh, yeah, Miles Bridges currently leads the league in two-point field goal percentage. Uh, that was yesterday. Queen City Hoops tweeted that out. Uh, 71.4%. Obviously, you know, pretty much all at the rim. But, I mean, his I, I said this last episode, so I don't want to beat a dead horse. But it's just he's a, such a good example of when you're scouting some of these guys in college and you know they're good athletes. But, you, you know, you just feel like, ah, but is he that good of an athlete? I mean, the, that's – the college game is so much different in the NBA. Some of these guys that transfer to the NBA here and they get into space and they're allowed to cut where the, the body that would normally help in college is an extra three feet away in the NBA and how they're just able to absolutely, you know, sky through the air and these incredible dunks. I mean, miles bridges is, he's one of the best athletes as a rookie that I can remember mm-hmm. in a while. Maybe probably until next year when Zion trots into the league here. Right, right, um, right, right. But, I mean, the Hornets have something. They nailed it. Uh, there's zero question about that. They, we haven't been able to say that for recent draft picks in the lottery uh, for a while, but but the Hornets nailed this one with Miles. He also had John Schumann from uh, NBA Stats page. He tweeted this out during the game, but there was one – one of the finishes he had, he had at the rim where there was a loose ball 
he snagged it. He picked it up. Jeremy Lamb was like strong side corner and was open and like had his hands up like, yo, if you want want to pass me the ball here. Yep. Bridges Bridges went in and scored, got fouled, got an and one. And the first thing he did, the first thing he did was he ran over Jeremy. Right. I mean, Jeremy Lamb was trying to go over and high five him and was like, hey, nice play. Um, but the first thing Miles Bridges did was went over and apologized for not hitting the open guy. And you just I think this is one of the things which is really cool where look, we're heading into the season, we're like, you know, you know, we're so beyond the whole we've talked about the trade Kemba, keep Kemba, resign Kemba. We've talked about it way too many times and it's felt good to not have to bring it up once the season got started. But I do think this is one of the reasons why it's great to have a guy like Kemba around is that could you I can't think of like I mean there's it's hard to think of a better superstar for someone to to learn from than Kemba. Like yeah. yeah, work work really freaking hard. Like work hard, like be a good teammate and if you're talented then like yeah, good stuff can follow. And I, and I think just like I think getting to be around high character guys like Kemba and Marvin um and hard workers like Michael Kidd Gilchrist like it's just a good thing for Miles Bridges. I think he's learning He's got a good coaching staff that cares about player development. He's got good vets around him. And I think that's helped with Malik Monk and Miles Bridges this season. So so kudos to Charlotte for getting some stuff right in the offseason. Uh, they deserve that. And would just like to say, too, like Malik Monk was great in the Atlanta game, especially in the fourth quarter. Uh, four or five shooting in the rim, 31% usage rate, played all 12 minutes five assists, 50% assist rate. And they went to that D8 pin down into the yeah, DH. The handoff play. Yep. Times. And I mean, he, he looked great. He hit Marvin for a catch and shoot three. The, what's nice to see is when, when they're running that on one side of the floor, on the weak side, you've kind of got Kem, Kemba and Batum. Even if they're not like, it's not like they're screening for one another, but basically they sort of just like flip low to high. And with Kemba pulling gravity to the to out to the three-point line, Nick Batum got two layups including one where, where Malik Monk just threaded a beautiful one-handed pocket pass that just hit him on hit him on the go for for a deuce. And I don't know, it was just like great. It was just cool to see the fourth quarter where someone else can sort of take over and, and be be the igniter of offense. And uh, I I thought that was one of the best games Malik Monk has ever played, especially in the fourth quarter. Yeah, in the fourth quarter, I, I thought <laughs> I, I thought it was not actually not a good performance at all from the league uh, through three quarters, certainly right. in the first half. Right. His defensive right. effort was poor, gambling when it wasn't necessary. Um, one of the things I've really noticed about Malik, and, and this is where, the to me, I haven't completely thrown this comparison out the window, but, you know, a, a lot of it has been, you know, Jamal Crawford, you know, microwave right. score, six-man. Lou Williams. Malik, yeah, Lou Williams. That's another good one that I, I, I wouldn't agree with at this point. Malik doesn't he, – he really struggles to lose his defender in an isolation one-on-one situation. He doesn't yeah. have the first step you would think he does with how athletic he is getting off the floor. Yeah. You would think those two would be synonymous with each other, but they're really, really not. Um, and Malik's a good example of that. He, he's just a, not a good isolation player at all. Uh, it, that was last year. It's continued this year. I actually had these stats up in front of me today. I should have written it down, but his isolation numbers again this year are just pathetic. Um, mm-hmm. And luckily they're down. But when you're when he's allowed to play in this DHO handoff, if he gets a ball screen, if he gets help via a screen, 
he can be a really good player and make really good decisions because he does have a good basketball IQ Mm -hmm. and he can create for other people. But he's just, I I think that a good thought exercise for people to do when they're watching Malik is watch him when he is in an ISO situation because, look, in his mind, he can be a good ISO player. That's why he attempts more of those shots than than he still should. But he's not a good isolation player to me, and I just don't see him get by his defender often enough um, you know, to be that, hey, give it to this guy and he can go get us 10 points off the bench in this way, right? Which mm-hmm. is how your Lou Williams and your Jamal Crawford have kind of made a you know, made a career for themselves. I don't think Malik's going to be the same. And that's kind of transitioned into the point I wanted to make of why I think he is a starter eventually, because I think he is the kind of guy who needs to play off screens needs to play with better players that can create mm-hmm. open shots and catch-and-shoot situations for him. Put him in situations that already exist with an advantage. Does that make sense? No, totally. And uh, I, I, like, I, I, I agree. Uh, I think this is what leads him. We talk all the time. What you know, He takes too many of these crappy pull-up twos. And I think part of that is because that's like the shot that's available for him when he goes one on one later in the clock, you know, like he just he ends up having to sort of settle uh, for the, uh, you know, for a shot that's really not good. Twenty percent of his field goal attempts this season pull up twos outside of 10 feet, 2.3 per game, shooting uh, just 40 percent on those 14 percent of his field goal attempts this season have been pull up threes, uh, one and a half per game. Uh, shooting just 28% on on those. But you can see when he does get some advantage, he becomes a very good, like he can become a very good good catch-and-shoot player. Um, 11 of 27 on wide-open threes this season, 41%. And playing with Tony Parker this season has been a big, has been a big, like a big deal for him too. Uh, with those two on the court in 139 minutes with Monk and Parker together, Hornets are plus 27, scoring over 112 points per 100 possession. And here's here's an interesting split, too. Uh, Malik Monk's shooting with Tony Parker on the court. Uh, 43% on three-pointers. 56% effective shooting. 58% true shooting. Uh, with Tony Parker off the court. 30% three-pointer. 46% effective shooting. 49% true shooting. The Hornets are minus 10 in 117 minutes with Malik Monk on and Tony Parker off like that. Like, like you said, yeah. having the know. guy that can drive and slash and kick and, uh, and, and sort of give him like, you know, room service, good looks once some advantage is created uh, just, that's a big deal for him at this stage in his career, whether, you know, Malik sort of speeds up that first step or becomes a little more of a, dy- a dynamic, you know, ISO scorer you know, that sort of ultimately determines his ceiling. But at this point, it's probably not quite there. Yeah, I agree. And and there's not there's not a lot of Charlotte's offense at all that derives out of the isolation play. Malik Monk leads the team in isolation frequency at 10%, which is a small number, biggest on the team. But I wanted to look this up while I was thinking about it and talking about it. Uh, 0.75 points per possession. 35% effective field goal. I mean, these are awful numbers. And, yeah. you know, it just, it, look, these are down even from last year. Again, I mean, I think he's come a long way. I think Borrego has put him in great situations, um, has given him advantages. But, you know, we've got to, we've got to dial this back as much as possible. I, I, I agree. Um, 
and who knows? Maybe we'll see him uh, getting getting more. You know, I think again, talking about the starting lineup earlier, we we see we seem to think that it's pretty much set in stone for the moment. But maybe we'll see if at some point this season he transitions in over Jeremy Lamb in the starting five. I, I don't think I wouldn't bet on that happening, but um, maybe something to keep an eye on. Very good. Um, all right, well, BG, uh, let's let's end the episode here by just kind of going through. I, I wrote down some offensive numbers, just kind of offensive skeleton numbers for the Hornets that I want to mm-hmm. just kind of zoom through real quick. I'm sure you've got some thoughts on this. Um, yeah. Hornets off, just because, you know, the Hornets offense is fascinating, I think, to any Hornets fan this year, just because of how much it, it has changed. So let's get a quick update here. 53.6% effective field goal percentage for Charlotte. That's ninth in the league. 114.9 points per 100, 100 possessions or offensive rating. That's fifth. These numbers are uh, per cleaning the glass. So do remember, yeah. you're looking on NBA, cleaning the glass throws Different. that garbage time. I just think they're a little cleaner. I always yeah. use these. Um, uh, Frequency-wise, so shot profile, really where the shots are coming from for Charlotte. Uh, about 36 and a half at the rim that's 15th okay fine they don't have a lot of at the rim savants on this roster so i think that's mm-hmm. fine um 28.3 percent in the mid-range that's good that's 22nd you want that number to be lower so that's nice uh 35 percent uh attempts th- uh from behind the arc that's eight top 10 number that's fine seven and this is the number I, i've said this in the past i watched this every single game for charlotte 7.4 percent of their field goal attempts Coming from the corner three field goal, uh, that's 13th. I'd like to see that get up, but it has improved a lot since the beginning of the season. So just in general, where the shots are coming from, BG, I think it's it's positive for Charlotte. This is the kind of profile that usually suggests a solid offensive team. Uh, Unquestionably that uh, the things just, they're just checking a lot of, a lot of boxes right now. They've become basically a top 10 three point offense in the NBA, which you know, if you have a guy like Kemba, that's a pretty good start, and you surround him with a few good shooters, and and voila, um, and some good screen setters like Cody and and, and Aaron Gomez and stuff too. Nah, all that stuff is super positive. And it, again, I think they can get more looks from the corners too. But my my sort of like goal heading into the season was anything over seven percent, which is sort of where they are right now. I would have felt pretty good about. Um, because I mean, last season what it was like four point eight percent, like it was under five, and so they 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 jumped there. And honestly, like not only can they start taking more of them, I think they can start making more of them too. Like Malik Monk has had all kinds of issues from the corners this season, just randomly. I think he's three of sixteen shooting from the corners, it's been lights out from above the break. But Marvin's had issues from the corners too, so I think they can take more of those and they can they can make more of those too. Um, Ultimately, though, too, it, look, the, the thing is really coming down to Kemba. Uh, but compared to where we were like two weeks ago, I do think some of the usage and minutes numbers are, are sort of like settling down a little bit, which is that there's there's pros and cons to that. So he's playing 33 minutes per game, 33 and a half minutes per game, uh, just under 32 percent usage rate, according to basketball reference. That's number nine in the NBA. But he was number two in the NBA like a week and a half ago. Um, turnover rate, just 9%, which is good career high, true shooting percentage, 61 and a half. Um, this is the first time in Kemba's career. It's super early, but Kemba taking 10.3, three pointers per game, 51% of his field goal attempts are, have been threes this year. First time, again, we've got 
70 more games to play. But right now, he's, for the first time in his career, over half of his field goal attempts are coming from from deep. Um, five and a half pull-up three-pointers per game. That's second most in the NBA behind only James Harden. 38% on pull-up threes. Um, one thing, though, that I, I tweeted out this out earlier, too. So in the last four games, three of which we just talked about, Oklahoma City, Cleveland, Atlanta, but also going back to the win over Miami, He's had an under 30% usage rate in all four of those games. Um, that happened just once in the first seven games. And so let me just spit out a few more numbers real quickly here. First seven games of the season, Kemba, 7.6 pull-up three-point attempts per game. That was 34% of his field goal attempts. The, the, the past four games, just 3.8 pull-up three-point attempts per game. That's 23% of the shot attempts. Catch and shoot over the first seven games, three and a half, and that's up to 4.8 over the last four games, too. So teams clearly doing it, you know, clearly making a point of emphasis to get the ball out of Kemba's hands. But, and it feels like they're sort of like piecemeal style, having to figure out a second option, which Malik Monk was in the fourth quarter against Atlanta. But outside of that, everything else pretty promising for the Hornets. Yeah, no doubt. Um, just to kind of back up the the frequency numbers where the shots are coming from, field goal percentage wise, Hornets are sixty point three percent at the rim. It's twenty third. I, I just like I said earlier, I don't think this is going to be a good team at the rim. They just don't really have the horses. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't really bother me. I, I would like to see them attempt more. They're just not going to be at the top of the league in that category. Uh, this is kind of surprising. Forty three point eight percent from the mid range. So they mm-hmm. attempt not very many mid range shots. Twenty second in the league. But they make fourth highest in the league. I think a lot of that is carried by Jeremy Lamb and Kimba Walker. I think Kimba, those are the two. Yeah. yeah. Kimba's been on fire from the mid range yeah. to start the season. You know, so I, I think that like Lamb and Walker kind of have the green light from that area. Everybody else, it may be Monk. Everyone else needs to be getting to the rim or mm-hmm. shooting a three. That, that should kind of be the general yeah. rule. The, 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 I was just going to just bang this horse, dead horse, one more time. But just like Malik, totally different player when he gets to the rim. Just totally, yeah. like a totally, both as a scorer and a passer, just a completely different player when he is not settling and when he when he can go right and get to the rim. Uh, he is a, he's a dangerous player offensively. No question. Um, 39.5% for Charlotte uh, from the corners. That's 13th in the league. I think that number getting to like – 43 or 44 is as simple as Marvin Williams just waking up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it can it can raise that quickly into the top 10. Uh, and then overall, 36 overall from behind the arc, 36.7 percent for Charlotte. That's fine. It's 11th. That's not a bad number. Um, yeah, that's probably where it. If it lands on that after 82 games, I wouldn't be upset. Right. Um. So that's you know from a profile situation. For Charlotte's offense, that's what it looks like. Defensively, this team's 12th in the league. Um, kind of like, for me, the same theory is as them at the rim offensively. I, I think their ceiling isn't super high defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have anybody that can protect the rim. Not named Bismack Biombo, and you're not going to give him minutes. Um, and they just, you know, I think they could do a better job staying in front of the basketball. Um, mm-hmm. But... Michael K. Gilchrist is really the only player that I trust consistently in that area. I don't think guys like Malik Monk, Nick Batum, and Jeremy Lamb are going to consist. They just, 
we've seen enough evidence from all these players now that they just don't consistently keep the ball in front of them. They're they're maybe making it to well, not Monk, but you know, yeah. Lamb and Batum. <laughs> no, actually, Lamb's the only player of that trio that I would say is you could make an argument he's an average wing defender. The other two are below average, and they just don't have the personnel, I think, to 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 seal off the paint on a consistent basis, especially if they're going to go smaller. I mean, and Marvin mm-hmm. Williams is older, so he's going to get beat consistent off the dribble too. I don't know. I actually think 12th is pretty good for this roster. <laughs> yeah, I, I I tend to agree. And, and, and look, I think the offense can get a little bit better. I think the, the defense is going to is gonna backslide a little bit, and hopefully that sort of just, like, evens itself out, and hopefully they play a little bit better in clutch minutes, and therefore, like, the record is better. I also don't think the bench offense can keep scoring quite at the level it is right now. It seems a bit unsustainable. Um, real quickly on Batum, I mean, we talk about this all the time here, but it's been – it has been just like glaringly obvious the last few games too. his defense on closeouts. It is just like it (laughs) is. It's just a mess. Like it's, it's just, it's just legs in one direction, hands in another. (laughs) The timing is off. And all of a sudden the dude is just right by him. Just skating (laughs) to the rim. It's like, it looks like keep him in front of you. He can't do it. He can, he's incapable of doing it. Not, Not only is I'm almost willing to say I don't even care about the effort anymore because he looks like he's closing out like wearing stilts or something. Yes. You know, like like yeah. like he's in a circus. Like like he has zero feel for gravity or 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 any form of balance, like center of gravity. Like it's just at this point, I'm just like whatever. If you chase the guy off the three point line, that's if that's what we can get from you, we'll take it, right? Yeah, like, yeah, that's true. That's a good. That's that's at least at least at least you're not getting a wide open three at least, which the Hornets uh, continue to get a little bit of luck because opponents have not shot well on wide open threes, but they're not giving up a ton uh, under 16 per game this season. But yeah, but Tomb, it's like. It's like the strides are long, but they're incredibly slow. And so just, it just, it is so easy to go right around him because there's all this space and you just, you have the speed advantage no matter what. And this um, has been, and this is such so an funny. under the radar NBA, like just mess. Like, like nobody, yeah. not nobody. I think a lot of people that watch the league close, they've kind of caught up to this. But as soon as, is last season when I went on with Nate Duncan to preview the season, we were talking yeah. about solid wing defenders for Charlotte. And he brought up Nick Batum. I was like, like dude, like, I, I think he's almost unplayable defensively. Actually, yeah. Like, like, but I, I don't know. It's just been like a myth for Nick Batum since he was the six, eight Frenchman playing for Portland as yeah. a youngster. It's like, man, look at his defensive intangibles. This guy, like people just salivating. Like, no, he's never no. been that guy. Yeah. He's never been that guy. He almost has like the James Harden thing where it's like the closer to the rim. He is the better defensively. Like he's had some nice blocks and stuff this year, but it's like that dude in space. It's just, it's, uh, it's, it's a total it's mess. A bit, yeah. It's a bit. Of, it's a bit of a nightmare. So he's having a weird season in general too. I, I just want to run through this real quickly. Fourteen percent usage rate for Nick Batum, lowest since his rookie season. Fifty-eight percent true shooting, best since he got to Charlotte. Fifty-two percent three-point attempt rate, highest of his career. Nine point five percent free throw attempt rate, lowest of his career. Twenty percent turnover rate, highest of his career, <laughs> and six and sixteen percent assist rate, which is the lowest since two thousand twelve. Just, I mean, he's sort of like a catch and shoot guy now, uh, like a to, yeah. you know a little bit more of that now than he would yeah. sort of like 
the playmaking connector that uh, that we sort of like got to know when he first initially got to Charlotte. Yeah, he's a $25 million catch and shoot player, exactly what Charlotte, you know, signed up for there. And uh, <laughs> no, but you're right, PG. He's had a weird season. Um, when I was looking up some stuff today, I ran across this number, and you might have said this. Apologies if you did. 65.6% on effective field goal catch, effective field goal percentage in catch and shoot situations. That's that's good. I mean, it's three point six. Yeah, at, at three point six attempts per game. So it's not some shallow, no data number here. I mean, he is taking those a lot per game. And I will say this. So, and this is not you know a, a number. It's, this is not a number stat here, but he is not hesitating when he does have space and even in big situations this year Batum has consistently in the past I think looked like a guy that wants anything but you know a clutch situation shot yeah and he has taken some big ones this season mm-hmm. notably the other night against Atlanta he took one in the corner I think Kimba it was late in the shot clock Kimba's kind of dribbling his way kind of flips I think it was Kimba flips it to him and it's just like a handoff play. Didn't have much space, but just had enough, and he just pulls the trigger and, and drained mm-hmm. it. We've seen more of that from Batum this year, yeah. and that that is encouraging. But, I, you know, it, the usage thing is very, very worrisome. 14%, but, dude. I mean, oh, I, thought, boy. I thought last year with Howard on the roster, and I think last year Batum finished with like a 19% usage rate, something along those lines. That was, that was low for Batum. I thought, okay, well – Dwight's been on the team. You know, we had to, you know, light our hairs on fire with throwing him five or six <laughs> possessions a game. So that had a lot to do with Batum's, you know, usage going down. But but for it to be this much lower now when you yeah. actually thought there was a good chance it would go up is, is pretty crazy. I think Tony Parker has a lot to do with that, right? I think, like, Malik Monk taking on a larger role has a lot to do with that. But I don't know, like, what you do with Batum anymore at the cap number he's at other than just ask him – try to just knock down as many catch and shoot yeah. shots as you can and yeah. if this number stays up where it is and players are closed down on you hard use that one or two dribbles and you're you do have good vision and set mm-hmm. up your teammates like yeah what else can you really ask him for? and that i just don't think he's capable of much else anymore and that usage number uh, is even crazy with the turnovers involved so if you if you factor yeah. in the turnovers clearly he's having less of an effect on the team when it comes to actually yeah. scoring right yeah, like he's like he's turning it over and he's getting to the free throw line less, which is sort of which maybe maybe that's sort of bouncing yeah. it out a little bit. But yeah, the uh, it's fourteen. I mean, there aren't there aren't too many wings making uh, you know eight figures that have usage rates that are below fifteen percent. Like, let's just leave it at that. There there aren't there aren't a lot of those guys uh, in, in in the NBA right now. So, uh, but it is what it is. Like he's here. The team's playing well with him on the court, so that's good. Um, On-off plus-minus numbers are good with Batum. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, you know, he's sort of – you know, he is what he is, and this is a slightly altered version of, of I guess, the guy that we've, we've, we thought we'd grown accustomed to knowing in Charlotte. Um, no doubt. So we just hope those shooting numbers stay where they are and yeah. we can at least extract that yeah. um, from Batum. Uh, okay. Anything else, BG, that you had? We uh, we covered a lot. I, I like this episode. Yeah. I think we got into some stuff here. Yeah, no. Um, I guess we should just let me pull up the schedule, unless you, one of you guys has it in front oh, yeah, of you. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we can, uh, we can just maybe, like, look ahead here. Uh, yes, yeah, so the Hornets are 6-5 and five, 
uh, after winning three of their last four games. They have, in terms of their net rating, Basketball Reference says they should be eight and three, but um, always enjoyable experience following the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, they get on the road, three straight road games at Philadelphia on Friday. That's a tough one. At Detroit, Sunday afternoon, November 11th. That, that'll be that'll be tough. And then Tuesday night, in the queue, deep in the queue against the Cleveland Cavaliers. That uh, that should be a, a bit of a gimme, and they need to have that because they get back home after that. And this is now starting on Saturday, November 17th. You got Philadelphia, Boston, and Indiana all in the span of four or five days in Uptown. So those are this is an important road trip Charlotte has coming up. It is a very important one. Um, there's some there's some opportunity on this road trip. Also, some tough games, like you said. I mean, as really the East sits right now, uh, it looks like we have our nine teams that are going to compete. Mm-hmm. I mean, it might just be eight. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, it's it's pretty crazy how distinguishable the line is be- between really the the upper tier and the lower tier of this uh, of this conference this season. I, I do not think that it's going to take 500 to get into the playoffs no. um, th- from what we've seen so far. So so the Hornets are off to a good start, but you know some opportunity there. The middle of Indiana, Philly. Um, I'm going to leave somebody else out here that that I think the Hornets could could stay on the tails of these teams. Also, um, who knows what to make of Washington too? Yeah, like, like will they recover? I don't like, think they will. But yeah. they're two and eight right now. <laughs> like, like it's not going well. Um, I and mean, it, and getting smoked. Yeah, I mean, uh, getting know? beat by 30 by OKC at home on the second of a back-to-back for OKC and then going to Dallas and losing by, by 20, being down by, I think, close to 30 in that game at 1.2. Like, I, I look, it's possible. There's a lot of talent on that roster. I I, I should have put this out in the open before the season. I, I just felt like you could smell it. Like, add Dwight to that group no, of, of guys that already don't like each other. Like, you could yeah. tell what was about to happen, but... I don't know what they do. Lowe had a great piece earlier in the week about how crappy of a situation they're in. If you think the Hornets are in a bad situation, go ahead and just uh, pull up on Basketball Insiders or, or whatever you want. Washington Wizards, their cap. I mean, it is. They're going to owe three guys $100 million next season. They're 2-8 and eight right now. Just wrap your head around that. It's crazy. I actually don't think, and we'll see what happens What in terms of you know the numbers and years when, when Kemba, you know, if and when he resigns this summer, we assume he will. But, like, Look, man, the Hornets, at least they have all their first-round picks. It seems like they have a couple good young guys to build around. Bridges seems good. Malik Monk, a bit of a roller coaster, but certainly some offensive talent. Um, and, I mean, some of these deals are going to be, look, you know, Marvin's coming off in two years. Who knows what will happen with MKG. I mean, two years at the latest, but I guess he could be this summer too. Um, you know, if he decided to opt out, we don't think he will. But, like, the Hornets don't have, like, a surplus of assets, but they're not – some of like the gloom like I'd much rather be Charlotte than Detroit or Washington in terms of like picks I have, what the financial obligations I have, like uh, the Hornets are not in a, in a super clean, super great spot, but it's not as bad as some of these other Eastern conference teams. No, I agree. I agree. And I think that's come to the surface early this season. Um, All right. Good stuff. Well, the Hornets, you know, six and five, they're an exciting product. Um, they've left some on the table. Overall, I think there's plenty to be excited about here early in the season, firmly in the playoff picture. Um, so, Richie, are you still there with us? I'm here. A little <laughs> tired, but I'm here. 
Gotcha. Well, look, go get some rest or go get rest. You can until uh, the little guy decides that you can't rest anymore. But really, <laughs> let's uh, let's watch the Panthers. This feels let's take two minutes here. If the Panthers win this game, I'll just throw this question out and you guys can uh, can answer it. If the Panthers win this game and get to seven and two, do you consider them to be a contender with New Orleans and L.A. and like have a shot at winning the NFC? Hmm. Uh, winning the NFC, I would say no. I, I think I'm kind of pretty content on them making the playoffs, but uh, actually t- overtaking New Orleans is going to be a tough task. But we still do it, have be two games against them, right? Against New Orleans? Yeah. yeah. yeah they play, they, Charlotte plays the New Orleans three, twice in the last three weeks, which is crazy. Like mm-hmm. The NFL loves to backload these, these, these schedules with the uh, division games. Um Tonight wouldn't sway me that much. I think in the NFL, and admittedly, since the NBA started, I've and now college hoops back to. I'm paying way less. Attention. I'm basically only watching uh, the Panthers at this point. Um, I think there are four teams that are just clearly better than everyone else. That's the Chiefs and the Patriots and the AFC and the Rams and the Saints and the NFC. But I think just below that group, you find the Panthers. Uh-huh. You know, um, and they're hell, man. They're fun to watch offensively. It, look, I was so wrong on North Turner. The, the offense has been really entertaining to watch with all the motion and misdirection. And, you know, when, when Cam and McCaffrey get it going, I mean, that is a oh. tough battery to stop. And I, I, I've been a fan of DJ Moore. I mean, even the two. Curtis Samuel, man. Curtis Samuel's my guy. Yeah, having Samuel healthy has made a huge difference. I agree. I agree. Buddy, of, my, buddy, I of, mine brought, buddy of mine brought this up to me, too, which is like Cam has dudes that, like, a couple of years ago, the MO was like, get tall guys. Like, get Funchess, get Benjamin, get Olsen, where you got a team of power forwards out there. And all of a sudden, they've got all these dudes who can play in space now. You know what I mean? Like Samuel, like McCaffrey, like Moore. Um, and ironically, that those were the guys they had the year Cam won the MVP and the team went yeah. to the Super Bowl. Tech Ginn right. and Philly Brown. <laughs> right. These yep. kind of players, you know, that are small totally. can play in space. Totally, totally. Um, also, the touchdown catch Olsen had last week was, was oh, freaking sir. I mean, that dude, it feels like he can't, like, rock or walk or run at this point. But he can still go up and get it in the red zone. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this has been – Defensively, some issues with the Panthers, but uh, man, it's been uh, it is a little unfortunate that it took to like what year eight with Cam for them to sort yeah. of figure out like what's the right offensive balance in terms of like play calling and personnel and pre snap reads and blah 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 blah. But like at least they're here now. I mean, like it, yeah, better late than never. It took, it took yeah. them a decade, but uh, I guess they're here now. So, um, but yeah, I think Carolina's ceiling is just in terms in the NFC below. I just think the Rams are terrifying and the saints i mean they're they're super freaking good too so yeah i agree let's see if carolina can get it going defensively because it does feel like they have some players um they haven't tackled well this season they haven't stopped the run as consistently as you would have thought but tonight presents a really good uh, a really good opportunity with james connor and the steelers who have been running it down teams throats recently so i think if the defense can get going what i would say to my question would be that uh I, I wouldn't count them out. I, I just wouldn't count Carolina out. Not Luke Keekley on one side and Cam on the other and McCaffrey and the, the horses they have. I think they could surprise people here in the final weeks. All right. Well, anyways, we got off to, on two different tangents that had nothing to do with Charlotte Hornets basketball tonight, so <laughs> that, that's good. All right. Well, that was uh, episode 78 of BuzzBeat Radio. Um, don't forget we are a proud member of the Almighty Baller 
Podcast Network and our great home of QueenCityHoops.com. Make sure you're checking out QCH blog on Twitter, QueenCityHoops.com on the internet. Uh, and then what am I forgetting? Sports Channel 8 is what I'm forgetting. So I know that they're pumped that basketball season is back. They get to troll UVA hoops that much more. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I can't wait for that. I can. Uh, I think about it every day. And let Hayes know this, BG. I think every day when when UVA wins that Natty, let, I can't wait for that tweet. What is that tweet going to be? Sports Channel A. I'll say this: the one you need to the one you need to direct your your angst towards is, is Ben Swain because yeah, that's your yeah. Hayes and I are on the record like Tony Bennett's going to a Final Four sooner rather than later. And like once you're there, you know you may as well win a championship too. He's got a great shot at it this year. This team is loaded in Charlottesville. Um, DeAndre Hunter's a freak. Um, but yeah, Swain is the one that's just gonna like. Uh, yeah. Although the one thing I will say, and I'm not, I'm not, just like UVA fans that are trying to be like, oh guys, hey, the one over the 16 over one C jokes, like those are those are those are played out. It's like. Uh, I hate to break it to you. Like they're not going anywhere. Like it's all everyone's going to talk about this whole season. Um, yep. It stings, but that's why you can't be the first team to ever lose to a 16 <laughs> seed. Like, like, like right, you, right. you didn't, you didn't want to wear that scarlet letter and take the jokes. Then I don't know. You shouldn't have lost to Ryan Odom and UMBC. Yeah. Uh, in the first round of the NCAA tournament. So, well, the good news is it has nothing to do with the fans. We'll see how the players on the court respond to right. it. They've said all the right things. I think UV is very talented, and I think they're the only team in the ACC that can slow down this Duke train. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, so maybe that maybe that tweet was going to be, you can send it out, Brian, uh, if they do win a national championship under Tony Bennett, you could say something to the effect of, Tony Bennett is the first coach to ever Win a national championship while also being a number one seed that's lost to a 16 seed. You, you have you have you have almost predicted that with like honestly eerie accurate like eerily that's yeah, very, no. it's like creepy yeah. how accurate that is that's almost like verbatim what the tweet should be nice. seriously what we'll say yep agreed. Um, all right, let's get out of here. We've just rambled for way too long here. All right, again, that was episode 78. Thanks for listening once again. Thanks for the Twitter question. We will see you next week. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.